0: into today's Kinexus webinar entitled, How to Manage Your Improvement Metrics More Efficiently and Effectively. I'm playing host today. This is Jeff Roussel. I'm the Vice President of Sales at Kinexus. With me is Mark Graven. He's the Vice President of Improvement and Innovation Services at Kinexus. And we're really looking to go through everything with everyone today. And so I'd like to introduce Mark Graven. I've been working with Mark now for uh, almost three years and I'm continually impressed by his passion for lean and for helping organizations. He he works with us at Kinexus. He's written a number of books and, and writes for leanblog.org and is just one of the thought leaders in lean uh, throughout healthcare and other industries. And so I'm thankful that Mark is with us today and is going to walk us through the topic.
1: Okay, well, thanks, Jeff, and thank you, everybody, for being here today. You know, today's topic is about measurement and improvement, and we could, I think, first ask, well, why do we measure? We want to avoid situations where we're measuring just for the sake of measuring. I think we want to avoid situations where we're not measuring altogether because more often than not, the reason we measure is so we can answer the question, are we improving? I think that's really the most important thing. Our measurement should help us answer that question. Are we improving? Are things stable? Are we getting worse? And how do we react and adjust based on what these different charts are um, telling us about our process and our performance? So when people ask me, you know, what's your favorite book? Uh, My answer I think is often um, surprising. It's not a book about quote-unquote lean. It's, It's not even a book by W. Edwards Deming. It's this book um, by uh, Professor Don Wheeler. Um, He was at University of Tennessee for a long time. He's been an independent consultant. His book is Understanding Variation, The Key to Managing Chaos, and and I really recommend his website. I really recommend the book. I've learned a lot from that book, and I've used it um, over the last probably 15 years of my career in different settings. I've recommended the book. I've given away a lot of copies to people. I've, I've blogged about it. If you go to my blog and search for the phrase understanding variation, you'll see a lot of uh, posts about that. It really is um, that important of a topic and, and that helpful of a book. It's about statistics, but it's really a management book, and it, it's a very helpful one. So we find ourselves asking, you know, are we improving? We see organizations, here's a picture from a health system in San Antonio that would practice what they call daily lean management or some version of a phrase like that. We see a picture here, you have an executive at a board, you you have team huddles, you have gimbal walks, hopefully people, you don't see it pictured here, but they're tracking improvement ideas. And the the other thing you generally see is the tracking of uh, performance measures. Now, there are some things I've, I've seen in my travels that are good practices. There are some things I think are uh, maybe a bit problematic or, or not ideal. I'm going to talk about um, some of those things today and, and maybe share some suggestions for how to manage these metrics uh, more effectively, more accurately, more efficiently to help in your improvement process, not to be you know, the, the stickler about statistical um, uh, geekery, if you will. Here's a picture from our friends at ThetaCare, one of their nurse managers showing one of their huddle boards. And, and you see um, different charts and graphs. And one of the things people are often asking, you see in the context here later, I'm going to um, talk about uh, red and green charts. People are asking the question, how are we doing compared to our goal? How are we doing against a target? And that's that's a little bit different question than... Are we improving there's sort of two dimensions here we could be improving but not yet hitting our goal we could be doing better than our goal and we might be stable or getting worse in some way so there are I think some finer points and more helpful ways we can look at performance data and and key performance indicators and metrics other than just this binary red green good bad approach, Uh, it's a very simplistic approach, it doesn't necessarily answer all of the questions that we might want to answer. So a lot of these daily lean management boards have something um, that maybe looks like what you see here called a bowling chart and uh, you can see there's different measures and it goes month by month and it shows a very simple kind of red-green, are we hitting the goal or not? Now for one, monthly performance measures. Um, are, are really slow. Um, I, I think it's a better practice to see daily performance measures um, so we can answer these questions and respond more quickly. Are we improving? Are we getting worse? Or Are things stable? Um, I, I, it took me a while. I grew up actually bowling in Michigan. A lot of people bowl. It was a really popular uh, thing to do. And it, even though I knew bowling, I thought, wait a minute, why is this called a bowling chart? And then it finally occurred to me one day "Oh, it's, it's like the boxes you used to keep score uh, manually on, on on paper or uh, plastic back in the day. Um, it's a bowling chart that you know when you're bowling, it doesn't really show your score versus a goal unless that goal is to have uh, you know thirty pins for frame uh, per frame, which which nobody does. Um, so I guess it's sort of like a bowling chart, but it, even though it may answer that question of are we hitting our goal or not, um, it doesn't necessarily answer the question. Of are we improving? So similar to bowling charts we often see something that looks like this. Um, this is something when I when I first got into healthcare from a, a hospital um, You can see it's labeled here surgical dashboard and, and Don Wheeler talks about this in his book about how it's hard to interpret just dense tables of numbers whether we're looking at data over time like we see here whether we're comparing this year versus last year. It's really hard to do. Humans are, are visual creatures and, and numbers like this generally don't make it easy to see trends and it, it, it kind of makes me laugh a little bit that this is called a quote-unquote dashboard. Uh, it's not really like the dashboard of our car. You know here's a car I had a couple years ago. I mean I think if we're gonna make the parallel and call something a dashboard you know I think about our car. It's, it's limited information that you, you maybe you need to make decisions and sometimes Uh, Dense tables of numbers are just overwhelming. We don't know which numbers are most important. I think a car dashboard is a good parallel to key performance indicators because the speed, um, how much fuel you have left, um, those are probably the most important immediate measures. I don't know if I necessarily need to know my RPM. Uh, Oil temperature I guess is only important if there's a problem. But that's I I think maybe a better example of a dashboard. A lot of quote-unquote executive dashboards are more like the plane, uh, a plane's cockpit or something really uh, overwhelming. So if we think back to that surgical table of numbers, we say is it easier to tell from this? I've I've taken the 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 table there with the number of cases per month and I've just done a simple run chart. Now I would look here and we'll, we'll come back and revisit this later. To do a little bit more precise statistical analysis but when I look at this I'd say well it looks like I mean there's there's fluctuation, there's variation. Um, it goes up, it goes down, not too surprising. Uh, maybe the variation is increasing over some of the later months which we can see um, through the use of statistical methods called uh, control charts which is one of the key things that's taught in Don Wheeler's book and, and one of the things I'll, I'll get back to later In the presentation. So I think one of the key points here is that I I far prefer to see run charts over uh, dense tables of numbers. Here's a picture from a hospital lab that I worked with and we we converted them from monthly metrics that were mostly in dense tables of numbers um, to a handful of key performance indicators. Now there's basically here on this board three sets of metrics one for each shift. Um, We can see we did line charts, run charts, um, they did some comparison of red, yellow, green which I'll, I'll come back to later. Um, it's not necessarily uh, bad but it, it sometimes gets people thrown a little bit off track depending on where those goals are set. When, when I taught this lab, uh, the most important thing is to look at trends. Again, not just the binary yes, no, are we hitting goal or not, but to answer that question, are we improving, are we stable, are we getting worse, and, and how do we know? And charts like this Um, make that a lot easier to do. Now we have Kinexus customers who track performance measures right within the Kinexis software. So whether you're doing this on on paper, in Excel, in some sort of statistical software or Kinexis, these same principles I'm going to talk about today um, apply. How do we analyze charts? How do we react and make decisions accordingly? Because again, it all really comes back to this question, are we improving? So one lesson that comes from Don Wheeler and others is this idea that we want to make sure that we draw the right conclusions from charts and data. We don't want to present data in a way that's misleading. We don't want to accidentally make um, draw the wrong conclusion and, and, and have that point us in the wrong direction in terms of um, what we're investigating, what we're problem solving, what we're improving. But uh, this is some data. This was from a consulting case study I read once about. Uh, I forget if it was Lean or Lean and Six Sigma together, but they said fairly definitively in the write-up the average patient, patient satisfaction increased from 87.2 to 89 percent. Sometimes data like this gets displayed in a, a graph that looks like this, a column chart. And you think, oh look at that, big improvement. Until then you look at the, the scale and the y-axis and you say, well huh, maybe that's a little bit misleading. When we Make the, time, the, uh, the the scale from zero to one hundred percent. You look and say, "Well, hmm, that's not really that big of an improvement." When you know about variation and you start thinking, "Like, well, I, I wonder if is that really better in a sti- statistically significant way?" So again, they're drawing this conclusion that it, in, it, it increased, it improved. In this case study, they actually they they showed a chart. There's been a little bit of statistical analysis here. We see. N values and we see data and, and the chart was uh, politely labeled and I look at it so well huh on the left-hand side and I think this is where their project and intervention took place it was 87.2 but then they've kind of conveniently chosen the highest data point in September of '09 of 89.2 percent like well huh they've drawn this conclusion that says it has increased Now, they also politely drew in the average, this red line of 88.7, and I would look at this statistically and say, well, hmm, I wonder if that's just fluctuating around a mean, is this a stable process as opposed to something that's improved? Do we have stable performance? And statistics can help us answer that question. But back to the point of needing to avoid bad conclusions, what would happen if they had only presented data that went from November 2008 to June 2009. They might have been forced to draw the conclusion of, well, did patient satisfaction decrease from 87.2 to 85? You know that, That's the problem with kind of choosing or, or sometimes people cherry pick two numbers and compare instead of looking at a larger set of data and a run chart or a line chart or a control chart, which again, I'll talk about later. So we want to ask the question and answer the question, are we improving? Now here's a little bit different set of data, patient satisfaction scores over time. One of the things that that I would suggest people try to avoid or at least be careful with along the lines of not drawing the wrong conclusions about our data and our performance is that Microsoft Excel makes it really easy to add linear trend lines to a chart. So you don't even need to uh, go into Minitab or statistical software, you can literally just right click on your chart and it says add trend line. So we have to be careful about linear trend lines being misleading. So in, in my data set here, uh, going from November 13 to June 15th, I've, I've put in this red line, there's the linear trend line. The linear trend line suggests, look, it's going up, things are improving, things are getting better. But if we take that exact same data set and eliminate the first and last data points and then draw a linear trend line, the linear trend line says it's going down, that things are actually getting worse. So I think there's a bit of a puzzler there to ask, well, how can the same data set or basically the same data set give us these two different answers. If I think we're getting better, well, no, I think it's actually getting worse. How do we respond as managers? Do we end up wasting a lot of time uh, or, or, or losing opportunities uh, to, to improve based on what data is actually telling us? Are we drawing the wrong conclusions sometimes in our attempts to answer this question? Are we improving? So, okay, well, how can we tell? If dense tables of numbers, simple comparisons against goals or even linear trend lines uh, can be misleading, um, we have other methods that are not much more difficult to use but are far more accurate and far more effective in helping us draw conclusions about our performance. So we ask how can we tell if we're improving and we can also ask how should we react? based on what these charts are showing us. And one lesson from, uh, from Deming and Wheeler and statistical process control is that we want to avoid overreacting to daily changes in our performance. So here's a chart of uh, some production numbers. And let's say you know, the organization has a goal. That goal is, it looks like 42 per day. So our production increases from 30 something to almost 40. Uh, we might then, as a leader, praise the team and say, well, look, you did better than the day before. Good for you. you. know, Give people kind of pats on the back, praise the team. You know, We haven't hit the goal yet, but it's trending upward. It's looking better. And then as time marches on, performance drops a little bit. So you might be tempted to kind of kick people in the butt a little bit. You may give them a pep talk and say, well, hey, you know, I know I told you things are going in the right direction, but uh, don't slack off. Things have gotten worse. And then after that pep talk, things start increasing, and we actually start exceeding the goal. So the leader might be tempted to praise the team, another pat on the back, a way to go, and then things drop, and they drop again. You go through the cycle, you you give people a little bit of a kick in the butt, and now you're just starting to reinforce the management mindset, which says, well, when I praise people, they slack off, and performance gets worse, so I better stop praising people, if that seems like the cause and effect. And it also reinforces the idea of, well, when I kick people in the butt verbally, um, performance gets better. So I praise them again, and then, oh, performance gets worse, and then hopefully I I learn my lesson. But these cycles like this of of overreacting to every up and down can be kind of demoralizing. It can be frustrating. It can waste a lot of time. I was at a conference the other day where – or a couple of months ago where someone was literally kind of almost running out of the room and he said, like, oh, I, got a, I got a call from my boss, I have to explain this bad number from last month. And I think well that bad number from last month could be just part of natural fluctuation in the data. There might not really be any great explanation there. So back to this chart from the lab, we have these charts on the wall and they were doing daily huddles. And I was trying to teach the idea of not reacting to all the fluctuation, that uh, performance is driven by the system, especially if it's stable performance. We have a consistent system. We're going to have consistent performance. There's going to be some fluctuation. And so the, after a couple of weeks of this, one of the team members when I was back in to do some coaching kind of pulled me aside and said, well, you know, when we have a, when we have a good day, they they pat us on the back and they say way to go when it's above average or if it's a little bit better. And then when we have a bad day, they say, Well, no, you know, don't worry about it, it's the system. And you know, he he asked me, so well, isn't it always the system? And that was he was totally correct. He was really insightful. It's almost always the system. And what I'm going to talk about next here are some ways of distinguishing of when we have meaningful changes in a graph that we should react to, and when we should just realize, okay, that's fluctuation, that's variation, that's noise. Don't overreact, don't go on a wild goose chase, let's pick and choose our moments. So Don Wheeler, again, from his book, I mean, I think one of the key points from the book there is learning how to separate signal from noise. As he says in the book, while every data set contains noise, Some data sets may contain signals. Therefore, before you can detect a signal within a given data set, you must first filter out the noise. You might say, okay, well, how do you filter out the noise? And the best method for doing that is called a control chart. And there are a number of different types of control charts. The method that we generally use for performance measures, and and Don Wheeler um, talks about in his book, is called the control chart for individuals method. We have different data points, it could be daily averages, it could be uh, data points for particular orders or customers, but we we have a run chart. There's turnaround times, daily averages for a type of hospital lab testing. The blue line is that data over time. We generally draw in, I I like to do them in in green for no particular reason, Uh, you, you have a central line here in the middle that is the average. And then the different lines going above and below the average are what we call our one sigma, our two sigma, and our three sigma control limits. So we have an upper control limit, kind of the bold red line up there at about 63, and the lower control limit is about 30. And we calculate those based on the data. In fact I'm going to do a separate bonus recorded webinar that we'll send out to everybody that shows you how to calculate these control limits in a little bit more detail that I'm going to cover here in today's webinar. But when we look at this chart and we see that all of the data points fall within the upper and lower control limits at the three sigma level, we see roughly half the data points are above the mean and half are below the mean, we'd look and say well this by definition of how we do control charts is a system that is in control. It's a process that's in control. It means it's stable and what it also tells us is that we can predict performance to a 99 point something percent degree of probability and confidence that the next data point will fall between those upper and control limits unless something has changed significantly in our process or in our system. So we have this data and this is sometimes called the voice of the process, a process chart, a control chart, An organization might have a goal of 25 minutes and and a lot of people who teach um, statistics and, and, and SPC would advise oh you should never draw a goal on a control chart I I think there's a time and a place for it but the the important thing is how we look at the goal this process looking at this chart tells me that this system is not capable of hitting the goal probably never, unless we improve the system. Now, improving the system might mean rearranging the physical layout of the lab. It might mean reducing batching. It might mean a number of things that are more systemic than just telling people in a daily huddle, hey, you're not hitting the goal, and hey, you need to do better. You need to try harder. That's that's not the lean uh, approach to management when you're looking at things uh, from uh, this statistical perspective. So I'll delve a little bit more detail the different types of control charts, but they can be drawn in Excel, Minitab, they can be drawn by hand. Again, you can do them in Kinexis. We have customers who are tracking data and you can, uh, you can calculate and throw in your control limits and, and use these charts within Kinexus to make better decisions to answer the question of are we improving, are we stable, are we getting worse. So let's go back to the, uh, the quote-unquote dashboard uh, for um, surgical procedures and you can see here in the chart total number of cases you know here are the numbers that kind of march through month by month so we saw earlier a line chart uh, just doing the blue line and now I've calculated the green shows the average number of cases the two red lines are the three Sigma control limits upper control limit lower control limit and by looking at this chart and seeing, for one, first rule, that there's not a data point outside those red lines, I'm going to draw the conclusion and say this is all just noise in the data, that we can't ask, hey, what quote-unquote, what went wrong in July 2006? That's part of, apparently, the same system that produced higher performance in June uh, and back in March 2006. So when we have noise in the system, it can be counterproductive, it can frustrate people, it can waste time when we're asking, hey, what happened last month? Explain what happened yesterday. That's the wrong question. It's more about what's happening in the system and how do we improve the system, not just avoid a quote-unquote bad day. If we go back to this patient satisfaction data where you know, it went up from 87.2 to 89%, We take that same data put it into a control chart we see the green line there is the average Um, the red lines are again the control limits now we look and say well roughly half the data points are above the mean half are below the mean that's not surprising in a stable system we would look and say well huh even that day or that month uh, February 09 March 09 might very well just be noise in the system. Now there are a few more specific rules about you know these two data points uh, if these were both outside of uh, what we call the two sigma control limits but but for now at least first pass I think you know kind of the simplistic view is uh, is helpful to look and say well this looks like it's probably noise in the system and uh, a matter of needing to improve the system. Here's a different chart this is from um, lab turnaround time data uh, and again we draw in the control limits this looks like it's in control until we get a new data point here data point 21 that's outside the upper control limit now this of course longer higher number for turnaround time is bad but when we have that data point we would say you know what that's most likely a signal where it is more appropriate to ask what happened that day did our system change? Is that, uh, was that a one-time occurrence by definition a quote-unquote special cause? Uh, is that a problem that was solved and therefore performance is likely to go back to where it had been? We want to be careful that we don't have uh, a more permanent shift. So if an analyzer went down one day, okay that's an explainable reason for why turnaround times are slow. When that analyzer is fixed we would I would predict that we'll go back to our old levels of performance. We may have a low data point, in this case something uh, better than the lower control limit, uh, also better than the goal, but what we want to react to, this is a signal, it's not just oh we did better than our goal, it's to say well this better level of performance is not likely to be chance. That's what control charts tell us, that this is likely a meaning, meaningful signal where again we can ask from a more positive sense, hey what happened that day to see if there was a change in the way the work was done so we can hopefully duplicate and replicate and, and th- that change and make it the new system which is hopefully going to provide better sustained levels of performance over time. So we look at the data and these charts I've been showing you are what we call um, the X charts or the, the, the individuals control charts. Uh, I think I'll delve into this in the bonus webinar. The full method uh, actually combines two charts of what we call an X and MR chart. So the MR is uh, the moving range, the variation from point to point in the system. So that's what we've charted uh, down here uh, below. There's a slightly different method for calculating um, the upper control limit and here you know we look and say even if these data points in the potassium turnaround times suggest that it's in control, the moving range if we had something above this tells us that was a a statistically unlikely variation from day to day which might tell us that there's a signal and something to go investigate. What happened that day? That led to a bigger than expected bigger than normal swing uh, in the data points in our performance. I used a chart like this I was looking at a small business a few years ago considering uh, buying it and uh, I had data from the previous owner that I charted to look at month-to-month revenue to see was this predictable revenue you can look and say well was there seasonality or you know look for other factors but from the X chart it, it suggests that this looks like a stable process. The good news is that well there's predictable results that I could predict with pretty high certainty that revenue would fall between in this case, sorry for the confusion, I, I had drawn green lines, um, that this looks like a stable process. But when you add the MR chart we see down below here's a data point uh, actually two. one that was above the upper control limit for the moving range which suggests that something unusual happened here, that there was this kind of larger than expected spike and then decline. Where you know, if I were really if I were running that business, I would look and try to figure out what's that signal so that I'm drawing the right conclusions where if if, if sales had gone up, why was that? I want to duplicate higher sales and hopefully make that part of a, a new sustained process with a higher average and higher. Uh, control limits. I use this to look once at um, traffic from my blog if I were really concerned about uh, answering the question, is my blog traffic increasing or not? So I created a control chart. Now this creates a little bit different scenario where generally you might take about, if you have the data, 20 data points to try to calculate um, the average and the upper and lower control limits. And I filtered out looking only at weekday data because I realized weekday page loads was a different system than weekends because traffic is lower on the weekends when people aren't reading about lean as much and that's fine, enjoy your weekend. Um, But here when I drew the initial control limits, we have two data points that were lower than the lower control limit. So that tells me that it's not precisely a stable, predictable, consistent system that these were probably uh, some sort of signal where I'd have to look back and and ask why uh, were were page loads lower those days? One of those days was uh, a holiday. It was a weekday, but it was a holiday. So I'm like, okay, I can explain that special cause, and then I can exclude that point from how I calculate my control limits, and, and we'll delve more into that into the bonus webinar. But then we evaluate a control chart over time. We establish the control limits, and then we're looking at the new data points and we're looking for any sorts of trends. So the first thing we see is, ah, here's a data point above the upper control limit. And then here was another one. That's likely a signal. And I might want to look and say, well, what led to that increase? You know, did I start promoting blog posts more on LinkedIn or you know, look, try to figure out? You know, that, that, That's a situation where it's appropriate to ask what happened instead of uh, overreacting to these other data points that were just noise in the system like, uh, like these I'm kind of pointing out here. So we evaluate over time using what's called Western Electric rules, an uh, old history of the Western Electric Company, uh, Walter Schuhart, W. Edwards Deming. So the most basic of the Western Electric rules that we use to evaluate charts are on this slide. The first says if we have any single data point above or below the three sigma control limits that's a signal we might ask what happened what can we learn how do we respond but then we also look at things that are unlikely to be driven by chance so having eight consecutive points above or below the mean is again very statistically unlikely in a stable system if we ever see that in a chart that's a signal we want to ask what happened if we see six consecutive points going up all in a row or going down all in a row, again, statistically unlikely, that's probably a signal we wanna ask why. And then if we also have 14 points in a row that go up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, et cetera, et cetera, that's statistically unlikely. We may have somebody um, kind of distorting the system in some way, um, we, we wanna look and understand why we're getting that performance that's um, statistically unlikely and and suggests that we don't have a stable, predictable system. And if you want to see the full set of those Western Electric rules, you can see a URL um, that you can go to. But one of the the key things about these Western Electric rules is, you know, we're looking for signals. And there's two types of errors we could make. We could miss a signal that's actually there. Or we could have a signal that's a false positive. So the details of why these upper and lower control elements are calculated to where they are is based on finding a balance of minimizing false positives. So the rule of thumb with this method is you would expect a false positive once out of about every uh, almost 400 data points. So we're minimizing the false positives but when the chart tells us we think there's a signal, there's that small probability that it's actually um, due to chance, that it's noise. So if you go back to my uh, blog data chart, what I have put in the orange box here shows uh, a significant run of more than eight consecutive data points above the old average. So what we would do in a situation like this is actually shift the control limits. We have a new system And you see how the green line goes up. Now we have data that's fluctuating around that higher mean and both of the control limits now are higher because again those are kind of equally balanced around the mean Um, and it looks like those control limits are a bit narrower which tells me that maybe the variation in blog traffic had decreased for some reason. I might not ever know why. But again we might have a situation here where we have that single data point that's above the upper control limit, which tells us even within this new new system, that this is a signal that says, hey, maybe something changed, because this is a signal in in the good direction, I wanna look and figure out why, so I can capture that whatever happened and, and hopefully make that part of a new process. So let's go back and look at some other data from uh, different situations. Here's some hospital lab turnaround time data. So we have a control limit between uh, about five and and 32 minutes. So by calculating these, and again I'll cover that in the bonus webinar of how to calculate that mathematically, Uh, it's not difficult, there's just some certain factors you have to use. we look and say, well this looks like it's an in control system. I could predict that the next day average turnaround time is going to be anywhere between about 5 and 32 minutes. But what we can also do though is use this as a way of testing our hypothesis of we think we've improved the system, we can use the control chart to better evaluate that hypothesis instead of using, let's say, linear trend lines or a simple comparison of two data points. So if we're evaluating over time, we say, oh, well, gosh that first data point in the new system it's actually higher but we want to not overreact to that again it could just be noise it could be a learning curve of putting a new process into place and then we see a data point that's lower then we see some other data points and some other data points and now we see one two three four five six seven eight you know more than eight that are below the old average I could look at this and say well this looks like a, a statistically significant shift in the process that my hypothesis I think turns turns out to be proven that we made a change and look it's not just that we had one good data point we've got a extended string of data points that are better than the old average and now we can calculate this new average and look and see how this chart and this process performs over time so we can say we with very high statistical confidence, reduce the average daily turnaround time from about, let's say, 18 and a half minutes down to about 13 minutes. And I think there's more statistical validity um, to this. But the other thing to keep in mind is if we're just tracking the chart over time and we did not intentionally make a change, when we see a signal like this, we need to go back and investigate and see if we can figure out what changed in our system. So again, there's there's two ways of using uh, the control chart approach. One is to test a hypothesis. We made a change, therefore we expect improvement, or kind of more reactively say, oh gosh, something must have happened, let's go and figure out why. And in this example, I I didn't do this, I would have also recalculated new upper and control limits just to try to make sure that that's perfectly clear. Okay, so the last point I want to look at and talk about uh, before we go into Q&A in a few minutes. Is back to this question of are we hitting our goals? Now having goals can be really important. Let's say if you're looking at uh, for hospital patients who arrive to the emergency department with chest pain and they might be having a heart attack, the national standard which I believe is still 45 minutes for what they call door-to-balloon time from arrival to getting a blockage cleared uh, in your heart, that 45-minute goal is incredibly meaningful in terms of survival and, and outcomes. So I'm not saying to ignore goals and that goals aren't important. But what I'm suggesting is that there's two separate questions here. Are we improving? Are we hitting our goals? So that 45-minute goal for door-to-balloon time, I think, is uh, has, has a high level of uh, science and validity behind it. What we have to be careful about is a lot of times in management we set what are basically uh, arbitrary goals. And those arbitrary goals uh, might not be real meaningful, it may lead um, to a a lot of wild goose chase activity within the organization. So here's a chart. and This is from an organization that you might say has been practicing lean, they're doing daily management, they've got boards, they're doing huddles. Here's a chart. I would look and say well okay they're drawing it by hand they're drawing uh, a, a run chart you know like personally I could do without the little arrows I would just draw lines straight lines from data point to data point because we could see visually if it's going up or down without the arrow but what, they, what they've done here instead of looking at this statistically to ask are we improving they're just asking the question of how are we doing against our goal so the red-green and I've drawn in the green line to kind of emphasize that's what they've established for whatever reason as a goal. You can see the the manager, or whoever is writing on this chart, is giving people smiley faces for hitting 100% performance, and I think the what's implied is that there's frowny faces when you're in the red or when you're not at 100%. But again, this is a, a little bit of that I think you know uh, praise the team, kick butt pattern okay, well some data points are good and you know what? Some uh, some of them are, are not as good. So when we look at more of a, a system view and we calculate an average, here's, here's a situation where that goal line is really close to the average. So Taking what we know about statistical process control, we're gonna expect if this is a stable system, about half our points will be above average, half will be below, and in this system, half of them roughly are gonna hit goal and half of them won't. Um, Those pats on the back uh, or, or the pep talks might not do anything to improve the system if we're just being reactive. And again, asking what went wrong yesterday, what was good yesterday, might be the wrong questions to be asking. So when we look at a control chart we draw a lower control limit, here it's a special case because we can't go above 100. I would look at this and say this appears to be a statistically stable process and all I can do is predict that performance is going to be somewhere between this blue line and hundred percent. The goal is a separate issue but we can look and say well on average this system is not performing up to its goal. We need to be asking again not what went wrong, Not what what went wrong, but how do we improve the system? Here's another example from the same organization. They put in red, yellow, and green. Um, Here's their goal line. And you can see this process is always in the red, the way it's performing. And I asked, well, why did did you create the yellow? And and it was kind of a funny answer. Uh, the, the, The woman kind of half whispered. She said, we're not supposed to have yellow. they were violating some great law of management and they said well it was getting demoralizing that we were always in the red so we added the yellow and I would look at it and say well I think the lessons from Wheeler and Deming and and what I've seen in my practices what's demoralizing is not improving it's just constantly being asked why are you performing bad why was yesterday bad what went wrong yesterday instead of working together as a team to improve the system. So when we do a control chart, the, do, the dashed line is the average, uh, the blue lines are the control limits. Again, this looks like a stable system that's not capable of meeting the goal, which again is drawn in here. So I, when, when I talk to people about not overreacting to every data point, not asking what went wrong yesterday, and you see people writing in, they were writing in reasons why, statistically, we would call all of these data points common cause variation. And when we write down something to answer the question of what went wrong that day, we're incorrectly ascribing what would be called a special cause to a common cause data point. If we had a data point above or below the control limits, that's a special cause, and it would be appropriate to ask, hey, why did that happen? So, but people sometimes say well you know if we're not supposed to react to the up and down and we're not supposed to ask why should, should we do nothing and well no we're not supposed to do nothing what we're supposed to do is improve the system and when we use statistics this is not calculus this is arithmetic in using our eyes and using using visual charts not tables of numbers we can better understand our system we can look at the voice of the process and we can do a better job of rallying our team to improve. So final thoughts here, when I've seen organizations not understand variation, and again, the title of that Don Wheeler book is Understanding Variation, it leads to, I think, what he would have called in the subtitle of his book, Chaos. But what happens is, you know, we see management behavior. Uh, well, unfortunately, we're pressuring people to get better results by working harder within the same system. That doesn't work, that's not, good lean thinking, so we want to make sure we don't inadvertently introduce that in something we're calling daily lean management or um, huddles or performance boards or whatever we call them. One of the other problems is that we end up wasting time looking for explanations, those those quote unquote special causes of a perceived trend when nothing really has actually changed in the system. And the third problem we see is that we end up not focusing on systemic improvements that would really shift the mean, that would shift the average and give us sustainably better performance over time. So that's sort of the uh, the why. Some of the what and how, again I'm going to do this bonus webinar give a little bit more of the detail of how you calculate the control limits and evaluate things over time. Uh, I hope this has been helpful, um, again hopefully not viewed as just um, geek talk and, and statistics, but I think there are some really uh, valid management principles that I've seen be really helpful to organizations and, and that's why I was doing the webinar today hoping it would be helpful for you. Um, so with that while we have uh, some time for, for questions to come in um, Jeff Roussel is going to make a few announcements. Um, Jeff I'm looking at the questions here. Uh, there's a question about how do you determine the control limits. Uh, Abby uh, I w- I will put that into the bonus reporting, that'll probably be just five or ten minutes, it'll be easier just to explain that through slides. It's, it's a really simple um, calculation. Um, There's another question here from uh, Jerry, um, thanks for attending today. What are good strategies to address common cause variation? So great question. Um, you know, the, the typical reaction again to special cause variation is to ask again you know, what went wrong that day, that month. With common cause variation, if we see there's more variation than we would like um, or we want to narrow in our control limits by improving the system or if we want to um, shift the mean in, in the, the, the good direction, you know we need to understand the system that is creating that performance. We could uh, do some current state analysis. We could do process mapping. We could do value stream mapping. We could do... Uh, in A3 of asking, you know, the right question to ask would be, why is our system not hitting its goal? And so, for example, in hospital labs, when you look at turnaround time, if turnaround time average is not hitting the goal, instead of pressuring people to try harder or move faster, you may change the physical layout of the lab. That to me is a very, uh, by definition, uh, uh, an example of changing the system. And then looking to see if there's better performance so you know it, a lot of it really just I think comes down to um, studying and better understanding the system and forming a hypothesis about what in the system you're going to change well another question here uh, from uh, Mohammed thank you also for being here uh, I work in an organization where we have started our lean journey for three years we've done great achievements in 5S how can we use numbers and statistics to show management that we are doing better using 5S? Um, really, really good question. I, I think you know, some organizations track and measure or even do charts around their 5S audit scores. So that's very directly asking the question of how are we doing with 5S? You could put that, that into a control chart. You could look and see if it's stable. You could look and see if there's any signal of a shift But what I would propose is, you know, 5S is a means to an end. So let's say in a lab, let's say, uh, again, I'm just thinking about laboratory turnaround time because of those examples in the webinar. Um, We might look and say, well, turnaround time, specimens are delayed because the lab could be organized better. So we're going to go and do this 5S uh, initiative, do a rapid improvement event around 5S, And let's see if doing 5S impacts the performance measures that really matter to the organization. Because I I think 5S is great. No company directly makes money because their 5S is better. They they make more money because safety is improved, quality is improved, flow and on-time delivery has improved. So I would try to track those metrics and look at them in the same statistical sense, the SPC chart method, control chart method. Um, and and use that to test our hypothesis that doing 5S is improving our performance measures that are more core to the organization and what they're trying to achieve. Uh, Here's a question from Bruce. Would you have thoughts on how to explain the difference between confidence, um, degree of belief that a change is an improvement in a control chart, and confidence intervals used in statistical significance testing? I think conceptually it's similar. Looking at you know what some people would describe as type one or type two error, um, I am admittedly not a six sigma black belt. Um, it's been a while since I've taken statistics classes and have done um, you know significance testing and look at confidence intervals. Don Wheeler, who who has a PhD in statistics and you know, as I say, he's forgotten more about statistics than I've ever learned. You know, he, he makes the point that, you know, the control chart is statistically valid. Um, it is, you know, you want to use the simplest method possible, um, and, you know, I don't think that excludes the use of um, Six Sigma methods or other approaches, but for things like performance data and, and, and departmental metrics, I've, I've seen this control chart method be very helpful. Um, this is more of a comment, Deborah, um, very useful. I can see myself using this method of analysis with my students' performance numbers and also teachers. So that's great to hear that we have an attendee from education. Um, I have a lot of teachers in my family, and you know, I'm, I'm sensitive to the issue of performance management for teachers where uh, there's that same temptation to overreact to ups and downs in the data. Test scores are worse than last year. Well, that doesn't mean the teachers are doing worse or that the kids uh, are worse if we have a stable system or even one that's improving slightly in a stable way there are going to be ups and downs in the data And, and and I've done talks before about you know moving from comparing two data points to using SPC the news media loves two data points more traffic accidents than last year well that might be I hate to say noise in the system. Or if there's a statistically significant increase because more people are texting and driving, unfortunately, you know, we can learn more from seeing the trend in the data. And I can't tell you how many times I've been reading a news article about just something is higher now, something is lower now, and I'm just craving data. Like I want the media to show me a line chart. Like I don't I don't need you to calculate control limits. I can eyeball the chart and see is there something that looks like a meaningful trend and you can build some of that intuition um, from formally doing control charts in different ways. Um, Let's see, how how to do financial control charts. Um, I mean, I think, you know, like I showed in that example of uh, a small business's revenue, I think anytime you have data um, that you can put into a time series chart, doing it as a line chart, you can calculate control limits and see, is this a stable system? Are we getting predictable, consistent behavior or not? Um, There's another question, this may be the last one that'll come in, and the last one we have time for from Catherine. Uh, Thank you for the wonderful webinar. Currently, I'm using linear charts for my current improvement, and soon to certainly add the control chart method to analyze my results. Um, So again, Catherine, and uh, as Abby mentioned, um, I will, I'm will. i going to do this uh, bonus recording this afternoon. We'll send it out to you um, today or tomorrow. Um, I also do recommend Don Wheeler's book, Understanding Variations. spells this all out uh, very clearly with a lot of great examples. Um, you can um, do a Google search for um, you know, uh, individuals' control charts, and you can find the method online if you want to verify and double-check uh, what I'm telling you. Um, but you know, I think the final point I'll make here before wrapping up is You know, sometimes people get intimidated by statistics. Um, Control charts, uh, again, it's it's not calculus. It is uh, pretty simple math. When I was at General Motors 20 years ago, before GM was trying to do anything with lean, they had control charts. Uh, The production associates, um, the UAW employees could, could, I don't know if engineers helped them calculate the control charts, but they were able to use them and, help evaluate them over time and draw conclusions about quality and other key characteristics, Um, you know, control charts and and this approach is uh, hopefully not intimidating. Uh, I would encourage you um, to give it a try. Um, So with that, um, well, I'll follow up with these other questions here via email. I think we're out of time. So um, thank you everyone for uh, attending. Uh, On on behalf, I'll, I'll go ahead and just wrap it up, Jeff. On behalf of uh, our VP of Sales, Jeff Roussel. Um, this has been Mark Graven from KiNexis. Thank you for joining us today.